Well, turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2, we are talking about the end times, the last days, and how God's expectation of Christians, of our lives, is that we overcome in the last days. God wants his people to be overcomers all the way to the end. Uh, I read to you last week that scripture in, in uh, Revelation 12, 11. We might just turn to there first. That's a great scripture talking about Satan. You know, he was the accuser of the brethren. He's our enemy. He's our number one opponent in life. He opposes us vehemently. He hates us. He's jealous of us because of our relationship with God. We're sons. We're sons and daughters of the Most High God, and that's the position he wanted. He coveted that position. He wanted to be, he wanted to be like God, and God has made us like him, like God. And he hates us for it. He hates us. Well, I don't like him too much either. He's a dirty rat. A friend of mine preached a whole series one time called Natus the Rat. Natus is Satan spelled backwards. Natus the Rat. Uh, obviously, he didn't like Satan. I don't like him either. I don't have any compassion for him. I don't show him any mercy. He's not a human. He's not a human. And he, but he wants to be. He wants to be like us. But he can't. It's not allowed. He'll never succeed. The book of Revelation is not really about Satan. It's about Jesus who kicks his tail. He has a tail. The Bible calls him the dragon, the serpent. And Jesus is going to take the dragon and the serpent, Satan, and he's going to throw him into the lake of fire and keep him there forever. Amen. So I know where he's going. He knows where he's going. And he's mad about that too. And I can understand him being mad about that. But, you know, when we talk about the end times, the last days, it's not so that we can scare you. It's not so we can fill you with terror and fear and foreboding and dread concerning the future. We want you to understand the future is bleak for Satan. The future is bright for God's people. We win. It's very clear if you read the book of Revelation, it's very clear who wins in the end and the rewards for those that overcome. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says they overcame him and him is Satan, you'll see that in the verse 9 and 10. They overcame him by the blood of the Lamb, the blood of Jesus, and by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Now that they loved not their lives unto the death just simply means they were not f afraid to die. Amen. Because they know that you don't really die. You just, you just change places. Your body dies. And they can kill your body, but they can't take your soul. And your soul goes to be with the Lord, and there's a new body waiting for you there. Praise God. Praise the Lord. Uh, another friend of ours, you know, a pastor down in Miami that we, we met 
through Kingsway Fellowship, passed away suddenly this week. 68 years old, Pastor Adrian Sinclair. And uh, uh, man, it was shocking. But you know what he did? He didn't just, he didn't die. He just unzipped, threw off those old clothes and put on a whole new suit. Got rid of his earth suit and put on a heaven suit. And so he's, he's rejoicing in heaven uh, with others that have gone there. And, you know, we're happy for him, sad for his church, sad for his family, of course. And we need to pray for them. But he is not dead. And we tend to, you know, when we, when we go to a memorial service or a funeral, we tend to talk about these people in the past tense. He was a good man. Well, you know what? He's not a was. He's not a has been. If he was a good man, he's still a good man. Actually, he's better now than he was when he was in that body. You, you know, in that body, you're, 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 you're suspect to, you know, sins. You have a tendency, you have to fight the flesh all the time. But once you get out of that body, you're not going to sin again. Amen. So you want to live a life without sin? Just go to heaven. Amen. Amen. But in verse 11, it says, they overcame, they overcame the devil by the blood of the Lamb, that's Jesus, and by the word of their testimony. And, it, and we've t said this many times. If you were to sum up your testimony in one word, that word would just have to be Jesus. Jesus is the theme of the Scripture. Jesus is, is the subject of the book of Revelation. Jesus is what our lives are all about. And so the, the word of my testimony is Jesus. Amen. So we overcome the devil by talking about Jesus. You see, when I, when I encounter something that I think is devilish in my life, I start talking to it about Jesus. I, I had a, a, a person that ha had, you know, some real issues, demonic issues, uh, Accost me one time, and uh, was threatening me. And I could look at—I looked in their eyes, and I could just see—I could just see they—they they weren't the one in charge. There was someone else in charge. How I many of you, you understand that that's a reality? They're not just all mentally ill. You know, some of them are 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 possessed or very seriously oppressed by demons. Yeah, not just uh, not just in Africa, right here in Jacksonville. And and I thought, you know, I thought, well, what am I going to do about this person? So yeah, I just started talking to him about Jesus. I thought, and then I started then I started talking to him about the blood of Jesus. And that person just went berserko. I mean, just went just started shrieking like a wild monkey. Next thing I know, they were normal. Just talking about the blood of Jesus, just talking about who Jesus is, terrified and scared that demon right out of that person. They left, and, he, and that person was normal. I never even touched them. Now, I've seen some people, they think they, they, think they can beat the devil out of them, but I, I, I don't recommend that. My dad did it one time. He said, I don't know how to cast devils out of people like, like you, you preachers. I said, well, what did you do? He says, I picked up the bumper of a Volkswagen and just beat the devil out of him. 
Okay. You know, where there's a will, there's a way. Praise the Lord. Now that was years ago. If he did that, if he did that today, he'd be arrested for assault, battery, and all that. But you know, that was back when the laws were reasonable. Okay. <laughs> Why did I mention that? I I don't know. Oh, we're overcoming the devil. So God God expects you to overcome the devil. The first uh, uh, part of Revelation we talked about last week. It, Chapters 2 and 3, Jesus is dictating letters for John to take to the seven churches in Asia. And in each one of those letters, he commended them for the things they were doing right. He corrected them for the things they were doing wrong. And then he promised great rewards to those who overcame. He said, he that overcometh. He used that phrase, overcometh or overcomers, the ones that overcome, I will grant to sit with me in my kingdom. I will, I will give them a, a new name written on a white stone. I will, um, uh, you, know, I'll, you know, there's just all kinds of promises. But in order to receive those promises, they had to overcome. They had to overcome their own faults, and they had to overcome the devil, and they had, they had to overcome whatever the world was throwing at them. And it was a time of great persecution. It was during that time when Nero was trying to purge the empire of Christians. And they were burning Christians on fires. They were, they were cutting their heads off. It's, it's during that time when John, uh, John was boiled in oil and he wouldn't die. They put him up against the wall and got the best archers in the Roman Empire. And they, be, and they began to shoot arrows at him. And the arrows fell at his feet. They tried several things. You know, they put him on the Isle of Patmos because it was, it was a prison island where people die. They don't ever get off the island because they have hard labor, no water. They got all kinds of diseases. It was a, it was, it was worse than Alcatraz. They put him on that island, and, and their intention was for him to die there. See, they couldn't boil him. They couldn't shoot him, so they just put him out there where he'd starved to death. He got off that island. He went and delivered those seven letters to the seven churches of Asia. Not only did he get off the island, but he had a traveling ministry. And last we heard, last in the, the last thing we hear in the scriptures, he's still alive. <laughs> there's no there's no grave that marks where he was buried. There's 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 uh, uh, the only thing that tradition says is that he, that he was a very old man last time we saw him. But the rest of them died. All the other apostles died during all of that persecution. And they weren't afraid to die. That's what it means. They were not afraid unto death. They, 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 they did not change their message. They did not change their stance. They did not change who they were going to serve. They did not deny Jesus. Tradition says that Peter even asked that he be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy to be crucified in the same manner that Jesus was. So they, he asked him to turn me upside down, crucify me upside down. That's what tradition says. And so we know that they did not love their lives to the point of trying to save their life by denying God. They were faithful and true all the way to the end. And many, many people would come to the Lord because of what they saw. They would see them singing, 
Remember Stephen, when Stephen was stoned to death? You know, he's standing there, his face started glowing. He said, I see Jesus standing at the right hand of God. You know who, you know who saw that? You know who witnessed that? That Saul of Tarsus witnessed that. And it bugged him. He couldn't get away from that. Right? Remember when Jesus met him on the road to Damascus? He said, I'm Jesus whom you persecute. And then Jesus says, why are you kicking against the pricks? What were the pricks? The pricks was his, his memory of the people that he had persecuted and killed and put to death like Stephen and their testimony while they were dying. They would, they would say, God, forgive them. They don't know what they do. Well, Saul of Tarsus was there. He was there when Stephen said those words. And he couldn't get away from it. So many Christians over the centuries have been put to death, but as a result, thousands have come to know the Lord because of the way they died. See, the way you live is important, but so is the way you die. Amen? And uh, I'm not expecting you to be put up against the wall and, or boiled or... or, or uh, <laughs> but... Praise the Lord. I hope not. But if it were to happen, if you were to suffer some kind of persecution, what does God expect of you? He expects you to overcome. Amen. He expects you to overcome. God, he's made us to be overcomers. Amen. So in, in 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, verses 1 through 6 says, Wherefore, laying aside all malice, all guile, and hypocrisies, and envies, and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. See, God, God's expectation is that once you come to know him, you grow up spiritually. And the way you grow up is you, you, you develop a taste and a, and a craving for the word of God. And the word of God becomes your milk. And like a newborn baby, milk is important. And real, whole milk is important. I mean, they, the babies need the fat. They need, the, they need everything that milk has to offer because they're building bones and they're growing, they're growing in stature and, they're, and, and they're, they're developing and finishing out all their organs and everything. Their brain cells are being finished out. And so they, they, uh, they crave, they, they're born with a craving for milk. I mean, even, even bef before they <laughs> get their eyes open and, and get, it, get their vision clear, they're already searching for their mama because they're hungry. Have you seen it? Yeah. Amen. And so, you know, like that, you, you, when you come into the kingdom of God, you come into the kingdom of God as a brand new baby. I don't care if you're 50 years old. You're a baby. And the only way for you to grow that the scripture gives us is that you partake of the word of God. And that stands to reason because chapter 1 says that we're born again by the word of God. We're actually born again by the word of God. We got here that way. That's how we got here. And that's how we're going to grow up. We're going to grow up by having an appetite for God's Word. That's why Bible study should not turn you off. 
That's why your own personal Bible reading should not turn you off. You need the Word of God to grow. No Word, no grow. And I've known people that, were, that, that claimed to be born again for 20, 30, 40 years, and they had never exhibited any spiritual growth at all. They're still just as dumb and just as ornery and just as, as messed up as they were when they were born again. Why is that? How, how is that possible? Because they, no, they have no appetite for the Word of God. You can sit in church and be bored for 45 minutes while the preacher's preaching if you don't have a heart and a desire and a, and a yearning for the Word of God. But if you're hungry for the Word of God, you don't want the preacher to quit. How do I know this? Well, I've been in third world countries where they were hungry for the Word of God, and I'd preach my hour sermon and sit down, and everybody in the place would be mad at me. What are you sitting down for, boy? We thought you came here to preach. Preach. So I'd get back up, preach another hour, sit down, and said, it ain't time for you to stop. I remember Pastor Kai in Yangon. He had, he had me, first day I was there, he had me preach for five hours straight. And then we broke for lunch. And I thought, what are we going to do now? And he said, oh, we're going to bring everybody back. We're going to have you preach another five hours. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I, I literally hit the wall, hit a wall. You remember what it was like, Austin. They, they didn't want you to quit. And, and uh, you know, John would get up and preach. Austin would get up and preach. We think, well, that's service is over. No. You, you get up and preach. I mean, if there was three of us there, they expected three sermons. They couldn't get enough. And you could just feel them just pulling it, just dragging it out of you. And uh, I remember that one week I was there at Pastor Kai's church in Myanmar. I preached everything I could think of. I preached everything I knew. And on Thursday night, you know, uh, after church, I was like, man, I'm, I'm, I'm empty here. What am I going to do tomorrow? And I got this text from Ruth. She sent me the notes of a sermon that Franklin Jensen had preached, sent me these notes, and I thought, that'll preach. <laughs> and so I got up the next day, and I preached, I preached from Jensen Franklin's notes. Of course, I gave it my, my flavor, my pizzazz, you know, and like... I preached it like it ought to be preached. You know what I'm saying? And, uh, and literally those people jumped to their feet and began to shout and praise God. And I had to stop and wait for them to quit because their voices were just bouncing off those concrete walls. And it was in that tin roof and that concrete floor. And it was like there were a thousand people in that room. And they were just shouting and jumping up and down. And I thought, man, I must have said something got them excited. And so they finally calmed down, and I preached some more, and they did it again. And I preached some more, and they did it again. And I've never had so much fun in my whole life. And that was after I had run out of gas. That was after I'd run out. Of, I'd preached everything I knew. And so I borrowed somebody else's notes and realized, hey, I know this. Because you really never get through. Amen? I don't know why I'm telling you that. I guess it's because Austin's here. You know, 
just kind of reminded me of those days. And, uh, but understand that uh, in, in uh, verse 4, 1 Peter 2, 4, he says, uh, We've tasted that the Lord is gracious, to whom coming as unto a living stone, disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. You also as lively stones. Everybody say, I'm a lively stone. What does that mean? It means you're a, you're a living stone. You're a rolling stone. You're a, you're a moving stone. You're built up, built up a spiritual house, a royal, a holy priesthood. A spiritual house and a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Verse 6, Where, wherefore also it is contained in the scriptures, behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. That word confounded means bewildered, confused, or disappointed. If you believe on Jesus, who is the cornerstone, the significance of Jesus being the cornerstone is he sets the standard for everything. When they, when they laid a cornerstone, that stone determined the angle of the walls and, and uh, the direction that the, that the rest of the building was going to be built and what level that building was going to be built on. The cornerstone is very important to the building. And Jesus became the chief cornerstone to the building that we are. We are a building that is being built up uh, for the habitation of God through the Holy Spirit. And so uh, this living stone, Jesus, makes us living stones. We're, we're part of a spiritual house that is being built up. You are part of the house of God. And it's not a flesh and blood house. It's not a, a, a brick and mortar house. It is a, a, a house of the spirit. It's a spiritual dwelling. That verse 4 says that, that, that he was disallowed of men. That word disallowed means rejected, but not just rejected offhand. Disallowed means they studied him, they examined him, they questioned him, they heard what he had to say, they saw the works that he did, and then they rejected him. They knowingly they knew who they were rejecting. And they said, we don't want your standards. We don't want your values. We don't want you in charge of our lives. We don't want to yield any control over to you. And they rejected him. But they didn't just reject somebody in ignorance. They, they, listen, they, they followed him around and they listened to him preach. And they questioned him. Remember the lawyers questioning him? The Pharisees questioning him? They saw him. They, they were there when he raised Lazarus from the dead. They saw the feeding of the multitudes. They witnessed these things, and then they rejected him. But you didn't. You received him. And as many as received him, John 1, 12, as many as received him, to them he gives the power to become the sons of God, the house of God, the dwelling of God by the Holy Spirit. Amen. And this, so the gospel, uh, not only are you a new creature, but you, you have a brand new start. Look, look in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. 
we know this. I think we probably use this scripture every time we get together. Because it's crucial to our understanding of who we are right now. We are people who have no... Let me, let me just say this very carefully. In Christ, you have no sinful past. Based on what this scripture says. 2 Corinthians 5.17 Therefore, if any man be in Christ, how many of you would agree you are in Christ? He is a new creature. Old things are passed away. That word creature is creation. When something is created, it's, made out, it's something that's made out of nothing. You're not, you didn't get a makeover. You're not remodeled. You're not refinished, refurbished, or re, uh, you know, you're, you're not just uh, somebody that God gave a, a makeover to. Anybody here ever had a makeover? I have. <laughs> you know, when we were kids, we were playing around, and, you know, oh, we're going to give you a make. We're going to straighten your hair. Everybody's always wanting to straighten my hair because it's real curly. And, and then, you know, we're going to get rid of your freckles. We're going to cover up your freckles. You know, we're going to fix you. Like there's something wrong with me, Right. We're going to fix you. Just sit down in a chair. We're going to fix you. I remember one night my friends used up three cans of hairspray straightening my hair. I mean, it was like a rock, bang, like a helmet. <laughs> but you know, uh, the problem with a makeover, next day it's gone. I stepped in the shower. I washed all that hairspray out. I washed all that makeup off my face. And there were my freckles and there was my curly hair. Makeovers don't last. But being born again lasts for eternity. You are a new creature. Old things are passed away. That's how you used to be. Behold, all things are become new. So if everything in your past, that's the old things, if, if all those things are passed away, that means they're gone. That person that you were before you came to Christ is dead. It's passed away. Isn't that what we call people who die, passed away? They're dead. They're gone. And behold, look, all things are become new. And all things are of God. The devil didn't have his say. Your family lineage didn't have any say in it. Your culture doesn't have any say in it. You see, when you're born again, you leave your culture of sin and you enter into the culture of Christ, righteousness. You're no longer Afro-American. You're no longer Texan. You're no longer from Georgia, Nebraska, wherever you might be from. That is the old man. You're a member of the household of God now. You're a member of the kingdom of God. You are a part of the body of Christ. You have come into a new culture. 
And that's how come we can get along with you. We don't have to relate to you uh, as, as a, a, a Polish person or a person of German descent or a person of Irish descent. We don't, have to, we don't have to relate to each other that way. We've come up higher, and we've entered into a higher culture, and that's the culture of Jesus Christ. That's how come a, 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 a man who lived 2,000 years ago and walked the, the, the shores of the Sea of Galilee and had, had Jewish skin and spoke in uh, Arabic and, and uh, uh, the Jewish language. That's how we can love him, serve him, and fellowship with him and worship him, not, not as a Jew, but as Jesus. And Jesus doesn't look at us as a Gentile. He looks at us as his brethren. And the Bible says he's not ashamed to call us his brothers. That's how I can look at you, regardless of your skin tone, and call you my brother or my sister. Amen. And it doesn't matter where you're from. I know not everybody can be from where I'm from, so I cut you some slack. Amen. We joke about it, but it really doesn't matter. You know, I, I'm from Texas, but you know, I haven't lived in Texas since 1989. I've, I've lived more in Jacksonville than I've lived anywhere else in my, in my life. And so it doesn't matter. And I can relate to people in, in Africa, in Central America, in Haiti, in Asia as brothers and sisters and love them and they love me. Why? Because we are all new creatures but members of the same family. Isn't that great? And we don't have a past. Because God was in, a, in, in Christ, this is verse 19, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. That's who we represent now. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he has made him, Jesus, to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God took Jesus and poured into Jesus all of our sin, all of our unrighteousness. And then he took us and poured the righteousness of Jesus into us. We are righteous, not by any work of our own doing, but by faith in what Jesus did. We become the very righteousness of Jesus Christ. We have the standing with God that Jesus had. That's why my skin crawls a little bit when somebody says, all right, everybody, just repeat after me. I'm a sinner, saved by grace. No, I would rather, I'd rather change it to, I was a sinner. But grace has got me out of that. And now I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. That doesn't mean I don't make mistakes. doesn't mean that I won't sin. I have a choice. 
It does mean this. I can't blame anything I do now on anything of the past. I can't blame it on my mama and my daddy. I can't blame it on my ancestors. I can't blame anything that I'm doing now on my past. Because I'm a new creature. Old things are passed away. And I have righteousness imparted unto me. The very nature of God has been imparted to me. Therefore, when I sin, it's because I wanted to. Devil can't make me do it. Nobody can make me do it. It's my choice. So every time I slip up and sin, it's because I chose to. And by the way, same with you. That's why we sing, it's me, O Lord, standing in the name of prayer. <laughs> Amen. Not my brother, not my sister, but me, O Lord. So when we are born again, we become uh, as, as new babes with no past. Can you say amen to that? Amen. All right. Let's go back to 1 Peter. 1 Peter 2, verse 6. Wherefore also it is contained in the Scripture... Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believes on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe, he is precious. But unto them which are disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumbled the word, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. Now look at verse 9. But you are a chosen generation a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but now are the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Now, we, once we're born again, we are built into the house of God. We're lively stones. We're bricks placed into the house of God. Jesus is the cornerstone. And we're built up on the Word of God. That's our, that's our foundation. End-time believers are built up on the rock, which is the Word of God. Remember that uh, story Jesus told about two men. One was wise and one was foolish. The wise man heard the Word of God and built his life on that word. And uh, he called that, you know, it's like a man who built his house on a rock. The foolish man heard the word, heard the word of God, and disregarded it, and built his house on the sand. Both of them heard the word of God. One built his life on it, and the other one disregarded it. Well, the storm came. It came to both of them. The storm came to both of them. The guy who built his house on the rock, his house withstood the storm. The guy who built his house on the sand, his house was washed away. Both of them heard the word of God. But one of them chose to heed it. The other one chose to ignore it. And the difference was one overcame the storm. The other one was destroyed by the storm. Storms come to everybody. 
Trouble comes to everybody. Jesus said, you shall suffer persecution. Jesus said, you know, trouble is coming. Tribulation will come to everybody. But he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You will overcome if you build on Jesus as a foundation. That means you hear what he says and you do what he says. Well, nobody can tell me what to do. Yeah, those are famous last words. <laughs> you can live your life in defiance, thinking that you're independent and you are your own boss, but the end result's going to be when the storm comes, you're going to get washed away. Guaranteed. But if you heed the word of the Lord and you live according to his word and build your life on it, when the storm comes, you will ride it out. You will overcome it because of Jesus. Amen? I know that nobody in this room would ever argue with that. But the question is not what are you agreeable with. The question is what are you doing about it? Oh, I'm building my life on the Word of God. Okay, when was the last time you read the Scriptures at home? When was the last time you read your Bible? When was the last time you and your wife prayed together and agreed on a Scripture and stood on that Scripture for something? When was the last time that happened? When, when was the last time you actually repented of something you're doing and said, that's, that's, just not a, that's just not biblical. We can't do that. We're going to have to quit doing that because it's not biblical. Are you a lively stone or are you just a rock laying, around, laying out in the ditch somewhere? Are you part of the house of God or are you not? And see, a lot of people go to church, but they don't have any church in them. And it's not, it's not good enough. Just being in a garage does not make you a car. Amen? You've got, you've got to absorb it. You've got to let it become a part of you. If you want to be a part of that special group he's talking about, he said, he said this group is chosen, it's royalty, it's holy, and it's peculiar. The word peculiar means special treasure. Peculiar doesn't mean weird. Actually, the definition of weird means demonically influenced. A weirdo is someone who's demonically influenced. You're not weird. You're peculiar in the sense that you're price, priceless treasure. You were bought with a price. Amen? You're bought with a price by the precious blood of Jesus. And so you're per, then you're, you are given a purpose. Your purpose is to bring praise to God. Even in, even in dying, your purpose is to bring praise to God. That's why if they're burning you at a stake, you know, you can just start singing, you know, I'll fly away, oh glory, I'll fly away. You know, while your flesh is just burning, just praise God, lift up your heads and rejoice and go into the presence of God singing. And everybody that's there is going to say, whoa, never saw that before. Amen. Neither be terrified nor afraid applies to persecution as well as anything else. 
So if they're going to come after us, let them come after us. We'll bring praise to God in the way we react to it. We'll respond to it uh, by saying, Lord, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That'll, man, that'll get them. <laughs> praise God. Uh, that, that makes you kind of peculiar, special. You're called the people of God. We used to not be anybody. We were nothing. Really, we, we weren't anybody. We had no real significance. When the elites of the world referred to us, they referred to us as the ignorant masses or the uh, useful idiots or the, uh, uh, what, do they call, what did Hillary call us? Um, deplorables. The deplorables. You know, uh, Obama called us a bunch of redneck, Bible-thumping, uh, gun-huggers. Those aren't the exact words, but that's, that's the gist of it. Bible-thumping, flag-waving, gun-huggers. <laughs> Deplorables. You know, they, they give us, they, they look on you as someone who's completely insignificant. Your only use is to work, make money, and pay taxes. They don't think you're anybody, but God Almighty calls you sons, daughters, kings, and priests, royalty, holy, a holy nation, a chosen generation that are purposed with the purpose of bringing glory and praise to Jesus. You have obtained mercy from God. That means God looks on you and he, he relieves your struggling. He relieves the pressure. He comes and, and, and comes along beside of us and helps us. End time people are, are really over, you know, we're, we're over ourselves and we're all about Jesus and we're empowered to take the high road and live like Jesus would live in this world. Have you ever seen those little bands, What, what Would Jesus Do? WWJD. Anybody ever seen those bands? Used to wear them, you know, in a little wristband. What would Jesus do? Just to remind you that when something, something happens, when bad things happen, you are not to react but respond like Jesus would respond. I knew a lady one time, she... Uh, she was 90-something years old, and she passed out and in her home. And her son was a paramedic. He was the first one there. And he, he uh, comes and revives her and, and uh, calls the ambulance and says, Mama, we're going to take you in the ambulance to the hospital. She said, now, wait just a minute. Wait just a minute. I need to ask the Lord what, what I'm supposed to do here. So she prays. She says, Lord, how am I supposed to respond to this situation? Am I supposed to let them put me in that ambulance and take me off to the hospital? Or am I supposed to just stay home and trust you? The Lord told her, don't get in that ambulance. If you get in that ambulance, you'll die. So she told her paramedic uh, son, I'm not going in the ambulance. Well, he had a fit. That's my mama. And he tried to talk her out of it. She said, no, I asked the Lord how to respond to this situation. And the Lord said not to get in the ambulance. So she refused to get in the ambulance. She lived five more years. 
She didn't die that day. She lived five more years. And uh, it was after that, after that incident, that we met her. Ruth and I met her at a retreat. And she was awesome. I mean, she was in her 90s, and she preached like a house on fire. Well, she taught. She was a, a psychologist. She was a Christian psychologist. And she, she told us that, you know, Christians are not supposed to react to anything. We're supposed to calmly ask the Lord, what would you do in this situation? And you respond that way. We're not reactionaries, folks. We're responders. And when you respond, you do so thinking first. You think first, and then you respond. Amen. That's going to help somebody. That's going to help somebody. Well, that's, I've got to stop there because time is gone, and you're not begging me to keep going. So, uh, let, me, let me just read, read uh, one more passage here, 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. For even hereunto were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Christ suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile again. He didn't react. When he suffered, he threatened not. He didn't get mad when people mistreated him and threatened them. But he committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live under righteousness. There it is again. We're dead to sin, but we live under righteousness. By whose stripes you were healed. For you were not as sheep going astray, but are now, you were sheep going astray, but now you're returned to the shepherd and bishop of your souls. See, in the end times, the overcomers are going to focus on Jesus and walk out his example and do as he did. Yes, Amen? Jesus wants us to consider ourselves a new creature. Say, I'm a new creature in Christ. He wants us to live by building on his word and doing what he says. So say with me, Jesus is the Lord of my life. And my boss. <laughs> and then we need to understand we belong to a special group of holy people who don't live like others do. We don't live like the heathen. We live to bring praise and glory to Jesus. Say that. I live to bring praise and glory to Jesus. That means I take the high road. Say it. I respond to things the way Jesus would. I follow the example of Jesus by following close to him. See, Hebrews says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. What does that mean? That means we run this race by focusing on Jesus and doing what he does. Don't do as, don't do as I do. Do as he does. Amen? All of this makes you an overcomer in the last days. Can you say praise the Lord? Praise the Lord. 
Turn to somebody and say, I am an overcomer. And if these are the last days, I overcome. Amen? If these are the last days, I overcome. Amen. Praise God. Stand up with me, and we're just going to worship the Lord together and, and uh, thank Him for His goodness and grace to us. His mercy is everlasting. He's faithful, and He keeps us all the way to the end. Amen? Praise God. I hope I inspired you this morning. Well, I'll tell you what. Be inspired. Amen. Just be inspired. Say, Lord, I'm inspired by the Word of God. Pastor tried his best, but you, you inspired me, Lord. Amen? Praise God. Father, we just want to bless these people this morning. And as we dismiss, Lord, we want you to touch their lives and enrich their lives and cause the fellowship uh, of the Holy Spirit to go with each of us, making us one body, one people, one holy nation that is dedicated and committed to bringing glory and honor and praise to you, Lord Jesus. We're not here, Lord, to stroke our own egos or, or, or be right all the time. We're here, Lord to love you and to love each other and let the whole world see that we're your disciples. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.